This is an AMI podcast. It's official. Summer has begun. Welcome back to Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. Miss Lily's going to recap our adventure on the Ottawa River last Sunday. Our bucket list location is the CNIB Lake Joseph Centre, where the Guide Dog Advocacy Camp just took place. Larissa Proctor, manager of Guide Dog Advocacy, is our special guest. She's going to be giving us some more outdoor advocacy tips. I've got a few tips to share myself on how to keep your guide dog comfortable and safe aboard various watercraft, canoes, kayaks, powerboats. And I'm going to share a few of my own reflections on how to bring your guide dog into the outdoors safely. But not just the outdoors. Places like zoos, aquariums, rodeos, agricultural fairs, and places where you have direct animal encounters. You know, where the animals stick their heads right into the window of your car looking for carrots. Lewis, we better head in and find Miss Lily. Getting schooled with Miss Lily. Hi, Lily. Hi. Hey, uh, wasn't that fun out on the Ottawa River last Sunday? Yeah, it yeah. was. <laughs> I had a great Father's Day. You know, it was a, just a great day. Oh, I have to thank my friend Mike Dura yeah. for piloting our boat on that river. There's lots of um, hazards on that river, lots of old logs from the bog boom days that are here and there. You got to avoid those things. They'll put a hole in your boat pretty fast. But he gave us a beautiful tour, didn't he? He knows all the the entire entire river, like the back of his hand. He guides out there on weekends. Well, he knows it. We caught some fish, didn't we? I think the fish we caught the most were channel catfish. We caught a bunch of those little guys. Mom and Theo caught sheepheads. They're freshwater drum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Freshwater drum. Yeah. But they were big. I was shocked. I wanted to catch one, but I didn't catch one. We caught one rock bass and I think one little nine-inch walleye. So four different species. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. six of us fishing. You know, no one was casting. We were just, we had jigs. We had uh, twister tails on the jigs. And then we just had little bits of worm just to give it a little flavor. And just dropping it right down to the bottom. Everyone had a corner and two people off the side. And no one, no one ever... You got their lines tangled, so it worked really well. Yeah, no, it was fine. It was really good. And you could see the fish on the uh, on the sonar. Oh my gosh. At some point, I was kind of shocked because you could see a crazy amount of fish, and then you didn't actually end up catching them. Yeah. And you're like, come on, guys, really? Yeah, you're yeah. playing hooky? Really? <laughs> but there is a lot of fish. And just because there's fish doesn't mean you're going to catch fish, because a lot of them just aren't into feeding at that time when you're fishing. When you see, like the huge fish that are alone yeah. swimming in the middle and you can tell they're really big because of the length of the on the sonar it's cool that's what mike guides for is the muscalunge mm-hmm. and they get up to a meter and a half and you know 30 kilos people come from around the world to fish with him on that river they pay him 800 dollars a day and there's sturgeon as well and the sturgeon are even bigger than the muscalunge the sturgeon yeah. get to be about two meters long and and 50 to 60 kilos Oh, sturgeon are crazy. You're not allowed to catch those. No, know. they're no. Uh, at but, risk. But they're really coming back. And in Quebec now, you're going to actually catch them and release them. You're not allowed to keep them. Mm. But uh, but the First Nations fishers on the uh, St. Lawrence River, they're, they're catching them and, and bringing them home and smoking them. It's their, part of their uh, traditional food. Mm-hmm. I had fun driving the boat. When Mike said, hey, you want to drive? I said, oh. Because <laughs> a new boat, the motor's just broke it in, but it's now, you know, at that point where you have to start going full speed once in a while to break in the motor. 
And thank you for doing that. I didn't have to ask you. You just did that. The full speed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm evil Knievel on the boat. 70 kilometers an hour. Theo and Sam, they sure like the full speed. Hey, hey, where were we fishing? Right in front of the Prime Minister's residence. 24 Sussex. That's where we caught all our fish, right up below the cliff, right below the house. Yeah. And we were fishing at the base of the Rideau Falls, where the Rideau Falls drops into the Ottawa River. Thank God the wind was going in our direction. Otherwise, we would have gotten the water in our faces while fishing. That would have been a real made of the mist Niagara Falls experience. Yeah. And it wasn't too hot. It was good. But too cold to jump in. There were people tubing and water skiing and wakeboarding. And jet skiing. Yeah, yeah, no. It's not like people were afraid to go in the water, so. Oh, giant tourist boats running oh, yeah. around and a pirate ship in a tiki hut tourist boat. Yes, a tiki hut on Ottawa River. Super appropriate. Lily, thank you for that. I, I really appreciated that day and uh, your great company on the water. Time for the bucket list. Welcome to uh, Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, Larissa Proctor, manager of Guide Dog Advocacy, CNIB, and just successfully pulled off Guide Dog Advocacy Camp at Lake Joseph Center. Congratulations on that feat. Thanks, Lawrence. It was, it was a really great weekend, and I'm glad to be here to share about the weekend with you. Well, I think it's fantastic that you got all these people up to Lake Joe, all these guide dog users, you talk about advocacy, but you put it in an outdoor setting. So this is a, this is different. You could have done this in the city so easily, but this was different. This is, you know, sharing that outdoor experience with these guide dog users. And, and I'm sure it came up in your conversation, but before we get to that, why don't you talk to me a bit about your role and who you are? Sure. So I am the manager of guide dog advocacy with CNIB. Nice. And what does that look like in terms of advocacy and guide dogs? I mean, we all know about taxis and restaurants to a degree as well, but you know, it, it must be much broader than that. I mean, a two day meeting, you, you talked about all sorts of issues, I'm sure. We did. So uh, guide dog advocacy is a, is a pretty broad field in itself. So I support uh, people across Canada who encounter access barriers with their guide dogs. There's a lot of laws now on the books that protect that sort of access. And is it always clear, though? Do people always know about these laws? No, they don't. Um, and when I became a guide dog handler for the first time in 2019, I had no idea. Uh, about the pieces of legislation across Canada that protected guide dog handlers. So I think, especially for first-time handlers, um, learning about their rights, learning about the pieces of legislation that protect them is a really important piece of the puzzle. The fuzzy one for me is always, you know, is this private property? Do I have the right to access private property with my guide dog? Even though it's a shopping mall or, or a, a restaurant. I mean, these are all private property, right? But you know, so where does the owner of that private property's rights end and my rights start in terms of getting access to that? Because it's not a guarantee that I can access any private property, right? Guide dog handlers have the right to access any place that the public can access. Um, so if you are entering into a restaurant or a store, for example, and the owner says to you, no, I'm sorry, no dogs allowed here. If that's a place where any other member of the public would be allowed to go, you are allowed to be there with your guide dog. There are certain situations where um, there may be competing rights. Maybe somebody else in that business uh, you know, has a guide dog allergy. Um, that doesn't mean that you don't have to be accommodated. Compromises need to be made so that everyone's rights are protected. If you're in a situation maybe where it might be unsafe or unsanitary for you and your guide dog to have access, 
um, that's a separate thing. My challenge is, and, and I understand this totally, is fairs where they have a lot of animals on display, a lot of farm animals on display, you know, for competitions, like mm -hmm. even the Royal Winter Fair or, or zoos, you know, yes. like whose rights then do you protect the rights of those animals that are there participating in those fairs as, as, as competitors, you know, as exhibits or, or the right of my guide dog to take me into those things. Cause uh, sometimes the dog can trigger a lot of, uh, fight and flight kind of reactions from these uh, animals and fowl and so forth. So there, there's exceptions that need to be made, I think, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And as a guide dog handler, I always think, um, you know, in addition to whether am I allowed, whether I'm allowed in this place, I think about whether this would be a safe situation or a comfortable situation for my dog. The Toronto Zoo has a special place where you can leave your dog and they'll, they'll have it with them, yes. uh, with the ticket collectors. And in a nice air conditioned space where they, you know, they have human contact, so they're not alone. And then you can go into the zoo because you can't leave your dog in the car, right? I mean, yeah, you go exactly. to the zoo, you don't want to leave your dog in the car. It's hot. It's, 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 it's dangerous. So, so this is a good compromise, I think. But mm -hmm. I understand, you know, that, uh, yeah, you don't want to be looking at the lions or the hyenas with your guide dog and, and, and think, you know, letting those animals think that it's dinner time. Yeah, that would be probably very stressful for the dog as well, right, to be in that sort of environment and be surrounded by predators. So same with the African lion safari in southern Ontario, yes. you know, where you drive through it with a family vehicle and you drive through these open sort of uh, zoo type enclosures with with the animals sticking their heads right in your car. Yes. You don't want your dog barking and <laughs> chaos <laughs> with a giant elk head shoved in your window. It's these types of nuances that uh, that need to be really explored and understood. What sort of outdoor kind of issues came up at Advocacy Camp? Lake Joe is just a beautiful place to enjoy the outdoors. Um, the The grounds and the staff, I mean, everything is made as accessible as possible for the campers. So um, I think that everybody was able to fully enjoy the outdoors, which was lovely. Um, I think when we're talking about barriers to accessing the outdoors, it's more um, in our in our communities. Park trails that are just not quite wide enough for you and your dog to walk side by side when they when the trail narrows between boulders. That's Mother Nature. My big one is when they include staircases and steps. Yes. And every set of steps has a different height, a different distance between steps, a different size of a step, you know, and the frequency like step, step, plateau, yes. step, 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 plateau, you know, where there's no consistent stepping, just bring a stick because you're going to drive your dog nuts. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it can be challenging with a dog because, you know, our dogs are prepared for steps, but when you're stepping on uneven steps like that. Um, I think it's a little bit challenging for the dog and it's also really frustrating for the handler, right? So was there some big breakthroughs or some big milestones you want to share with us that happened up at Advocacy Camp? Yeah, so we were very fortunate to have um, a handful of excellent guest speakers, including yourself. Um, we offered nine advocacy workshops um, that ranged from advocacy and emotions to advocacy and travel, plane enrichment for dogs, health and nutrition for dogs. So we were able to offer quite a few different workshops. The outdoor activities were a really great complement to our advocacy weekend. So we had uh, mini golf, we had rock climbing, uh, we had morning walks around the property, we had a pontoon boat ride. Um, and of course, plenty of opportunities for the dogs to play and interact. So we had dog swims. One of the beautiful things about Lake Joe is that 
there aren't those environmental barriers to accessing physical activity and the outdoors the way that maybe there are in our community. So um, from my perspective, I think there are a few big barriers when we talk about access to the outdoors for people who are blind or partially sighted. One of the biggest ones I think is access to information. And we see this everywhere. (laughs) You know, there's these great things that are available, but as somebody who's blind, how am I going to find out about this, right? Um, Is this information available to me in alternate formats? Can I access this online? Can I access this in braille or large print? Um, If I don't know it's there, there's no way that I can participate in it. Uh, Once we have the access to information, there's also the environmental barriers. Is this activity happening in a place where I can get to it by public transit? Once I arrive at this location, is the location itself accessible to me? What sort of signage is available to help me navigate and maybe find my way to, um, I don't know, a field where the activity is occurring or find my way through a system of trails? I think also the attitudinal barriers are a big thing for our community as well. So when we're talking about having staff who are supporting outdoor activities, did they understand how to make things inclusive for people who are blind or partially sighted? That they need to be a little bit more descriptive with their language and tell you where things are and what sorts of barriers are around you. Even getting into some one-on-one when things get a little tricky, if you know there's some tricky bits coming up and as a guide dog user, you can say, well, I could rely on my friend or my family member, but if they're not trained on Mm -hmm. how to tackle that and how to lead through that kind of tricky uh, environment, then now you've got a liability issue. You could hurt them. They could hurt you. Who's to blame? Is that going to be the end of your relationship? You know, so much for that Mm -hmm. first date go, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I I think one of my favorites was, you know, I I love horseback riding, but as a, it's not something you do with your guide dog, but as a blind person, it's one thing to have low vision. You can see a horse, they're big and you can follow them. But if you have no sight at all, you're really just following by your ears to have someone that, that rides in front of you and they can give you that, you know, Hey, low branch dock, (laughs) things like that, right? We're going through a gate, keep your toes in, you know, that sort of, that's important information to keep you from getting knocked off the horse or hurt. But uh, it's totally doable. It's just a matter of asking and, and asking for the right thing, right? So that when you do ask, you ask for something that's doable, not for something that's going to scare everyone and, and all of a sudden throw up that big story, we can't help you here. One of the cornerstones of advocating for yourself is being able to explain your needs in a way that other people will understand. So yeah. um, I often tell people, avoid the jargon. Um, when you're talking about, um, you know, different eye conditions and different pieces of technology, the general public doesn't necessarily know what you're talking about, right? So you really have to present your needs in a way that would be understandable to someone with no vision of blindness or partial sight. I think another important thing to remember is that often when we're contacting service providers to say, you know, I'd like to attend your horseback riding ranch, there's an assumption that because we're blind people, we're going to have a companion with us. And sometimes we, we don't want to have a companion with us, right? Sometimes we want to independently access the resources in our community. So sure. um, being able to have that conversation with somebody and explain, you know, I'm coming on my own, here are the things I need. I love that. It's totally doable if you come at it with a positive attitude. And, yes. and it doesn't always have to land on the shoulders of your family and friends. And, uh, you know, why not? If you want to take horseback riding lessons, why not, you know, sign up and, and, and talk to the organizers? You know, I, I was on uh, the Outer Banks in North Carolina, and there, there was a course being advertised for surf fishing, where you walk into the ocean up to your waist, 
and the water's warm and you fish right with these really long fishing rods and everyone mm-hmm. spreads out like everyone's 100 feet apart and the surf's roaring so you don't really hear where the next person is and you don't hear them calling back to you saying lord run a road wave is coming <laughs> <laughs> and, and the organizer said that they said lawrence we can't stay by you and tell you if there's a big wave coming that's going to sweep you away you have to be able to see that coming yourself and run for your own life you know mm. we can't guarantee that we can offer you that service so we're not comfortable you know when we have two instructors and 10 students we can't yes. just give you your own instructor and i said hey you know what thanks for your honesty appreciate it no worries you know and yes. I realized, you know, this is something I'm going to have to find someone to do with me. And uh, so that then it falls on my shoulders. I can't expect them to hire someone to accommodate me. And when it's just two guys who love fishing offering a course, you know, right. There's give and take, and it's not always a win for sure. How did the advocacy camp end? It was a fantastic weekend. So we had 19 guide dog handlers from across the country, um, which equals a whole lot of dogs. (laughs) Um, And anytime you have that many dogs in a space together, it's going to be a good time. Uh, Hmm. So I think that people were really able to Um, not only build their advocacy skills and learn about what it takes to be an advocate as a guide dog handler, but also do a lot of networking. Um, So for a lot of these people, this is their first time working with a guide dog. They've been matched in the last couple of years. um, And obviously with the pandemic, we had limited access to social activities and to these sort of group networking opportunities. So for some people, this was their first time getting together with a group of guide dog handlers to learn from each other, to network. I think even for the guide dog handlers who maybe are on their second, third or fourth dog, um, it was an equally great opportunity to reconnect with other guide dog handlers, to learn some new things, to go home with some new information and to really start to build that uh, sense of community again now that we're coming out of the pandemic. People are really looking forward to the next Advo Camp. Wow. Can they go back year after year? Yes. So uh, we haven't set the dates yet for our next AdvoCamp. Um, it will likely be the beginning of June again in 2023. And uh, the information will be available on the Lake Joe website as we get closer yeah. <laughs> to that time of year next year. Um, and people can register online. What a great networking opportunity, you know, to get together with like-minded folks who are, you know, learning on how to use their guide dogs in different environments and different settings and, you know, and, and share their experiences. And no one needs to invent the wheel on their own and, and figure the stuff out alone. It, it, it is unique kind of information that you, you don't necessarily Google. It doesn't come up very easily on Google. One of my biggest learnings when I first got my guide dog, Piper, was that, um, the best information comes from within the community. Um, You can Google all you want, but sometimes sitting down and having a conversation with another guide dog handler is going to give you the information you need, whether it's, you know, what sort of boots are going to work best for my guide dog, or, you know, how did you handle uh, the last time you were denied access to a public space? Um, Sometimes just those one-on-one conversations are really where the major learning happens. Hey, Piper, hey, I know Piper. (laughs) <laughs> i think you know i know piper yeah that's my boy <laughs> yeah what a great dog i cross-country skied with him and that was just a beautiful experience absolutely beautiful experience when we were doing those videos makings of a guide dog he showed all the other dogs how to cross-country ski he wasn't on skis i was and he was right with me. And, <laughs> and it went just beautifully you lucked out on that one i really did uh it doesn't surprise me that he uh, he was the the leader for cross country skiing. He's he's got quite the adventurous streak in him. Yeah, and he's just such a chill dog. 
he is. Yeah. He's very easy. Um, I'm, I'm very lucky to have him. <laughs> yeah. Larissa, were there other team members there coming in from uh, remote parts of Canada that uh, you want to talk about a little bit? We did have some people from smaller communities and more rural areas who don't necessarily have the easiest access to outdoor activities. Um, I think that's one of the great things about Lake Joe is that it sort of puts everything in one place. Yeah. Um, so people can access all kinds of different outdoor activities that they might not be able to access in their communities. Uh, though I do really wish that people from all communities had easy access to outdoor activities where they live. Not just, here's the wilderness, good luck. Exactly. One of the things that matters a lot to me as somebody who's blind is that we have access to all the things that other people have access to in our communities, right? So that we don't have to visit um, spaces that are designed specifically for blind people to enjoy outdoor activities. Thank you so much. Okay, take all care, right. Lawrence. Outdoor tips and tech. Bringing your guide dog aboard a boat, canoe, or kayak can be a lot of fun. And sometimes you just have no choice. First thing, make sure your pup has a good PFD, personal flotation device. Salus Marine makes a great PFD for dogs and they build them right here in Canada. The PFD fits nicely under a harness so they can wear both, which is pretty handy. And there's a couple straps on the back so you can lift your dog in and out of boats and canoes easily. It's really useful. Bring a bowl and maybe even some water if you're not certain about the quality of the lake or river that you're paddling on or boating on. Now, most times the water is going to be just fine. I mean, dogs will drink out of just about anything, but you should be careful. If you're on a boat, you know, the dog's down in the cockpit, there's not a lot of breeze there because the gunnels are blocking the breeze. So they're really in a sort of a cooker when the sun is shining. You want to make sure there's some shade for them there. Don't worry so much about making the dog lie down. A dog has much better balance when they're standing on all fours. Hey, if you're a guide dog user, you know that. How many times has your dog stopped you from slipping and falling just by bracing themselves? They'll lie down when they're bored or tired. But, you know, making them lie down when they don't want to, when they're a little nervous, when the boat's rocking, just leave them stand. Last thing, when you're in a canoe or a kayak... It's a good thing to lengthen out your leash. You know, these leashes have a clip at each end. Put one clip to your dog's PFD and the other clip to your PFD. You'll have about six or eight feet between you. That's plenty. But if the boat should overturn, which kayaks and canoes can do that, you're not going to be separated from your dog. That's a good thing. Also, dogs sometimes fall out of boats. This can really help the recovery when you have a connection to the dog instead of the dog swimming to shore and then you have to go chase it. You never know what happens out there. Should you become separated from your buddy and it's just you and the dog, it's nice to know that you have that connection to your dog. And they're powerful swimmers. You're getting back to shore. Taking your guide dog with you everywhere just becomes an automatic thing that you do over time. Like I've been using a guide dog for 36 years. Up until the pandemic, going everywhere with my guide dog was just the default. And when is it an issue these days, you know, bringing your dog with you? Hardly ever. We have laws that make it that you can bring your dog just about anywhere. Here's what I learned the hard way, though. Never a good idea to bring your guide dog to a zoo. Most zoos won't let your guide dog in anyways. 
It can set off the uh, predatory animals or the prey animals. Prey animals see your dog as a wolf. The predators see it as competition. You don't want to be eliciting that flight or fight kind of reaction from the zoo animals. It stresses them out, stresses out your guide dog. Fortunately, a lot of zoos have a place where you can leave your guide dog in an air-conditioned space with people that are going to look after it for you while you go and have your visit. It's either that or go back home because you can't leave it in the car. Aquariums, not a problem. Or at least it's never been at the dozen or so aquariums I've visited over the last number of years. Fishes just don't seem to care about dogs any more than they care about us on the other side of the glass. Agricultural fairs and rodeos, you know, there's the animal side of things and then there's the uh, fair side of things. So if you're just playing and then sticking to the fair side, bring your dog. You're not going to get them on the rides. But that's okay, you know, someone can always hold your dog while you do the ride and then they can take the ride while you hold your dog. But if you're going to go and visit the farm animals that are there for competition, you don't want to do that. These animals are in small enclosures and when they see a strange dog or any dog, they could react badly. And these are prize animals. You don't want them freaking out inside their small enclosures. Same with rodeos. You don't want to be the one responsible for that person getting bucked off their horse. And those wild animal encounter experiences where you drive through in your own vehicle. Hey, the last thing you want is a giant elk or a deer or a bison shoving its head into your window to get a carrot and coming face to face with your guide dog who freaks out. And then the animal freaks out. The animal could get hurt. You could get hurt. Your dog could get hurt. Never mind the damage to your vehicle. All this to say, normally you're not going to run into trouble. But it's not always black and white like a, you know, taxi cab or an airplane or a restaurant where you just know you're going to bring your dog in there and it doesn't matter what the odor says, you're going in. When it comes to some of these other experiences that involve wild animals or farm animals, these are different. So be open-minded and think outside the box. Work with the people that are responsible for putting on these events and find a solution. There's always a solution if you put your heads together. I want to thank Nazreen Abdel-Majid, Sam Robinson, and Paula Deneen. They're my technicians. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping on Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.